Today's reading is from Second Kings chapter 4, reading from verses 1 to 7, where we hear about the widow's olive oil. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he, is revered, that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbours for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Amen. This is uh, the third week on our uh, series on Elisha. On the first week, we burned some plows. The lessons from that story were you don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And those God uses most are those who hold on to the least. You don't have to understand fully to obey immediately. And those God uses most are those who hold on to the least. Last week we were digging ditches and we learned that your greatest need becomes a blessing when it drives you to depend on God. And only God can send the water. But sometimes he wants you to dig a ditch. Today we are going to grab some jars. I think God wants to speak to us today, but especially to those who feel overwhelmed have too much going on, don't have enough time or energy or are facing uncertainty, maybe even feeling really low on faith. So we're going to think about two verses to set the context and then go on with the rest of the story. So Second Kings chapter two verses, sorry, chapter four verses one and two. This is how the story starts. The wife of the man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. And Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of oil. Your servant has nothing there at all except a small jar of oil. So the first thing to notice is that uh, you know, we're never told this woman's name. She's just a woman. In the Jewish tradition, however, she's thought to be the wife of the prophet Obadiah. And if that is true, then it would be no surprise that she was in financial difficulty because Obadiah was known for protecting and providing for 50 other prophets. Also, it's not uncommon for a prophet and his family to spend the majority of their lives on the run trying to survive and finding it difficult to make ends meet. So here's this woman whose husband has spent his life serving God and he's died. 
She has no chance of proper and meaningful employment because in that culture, women were unemployable, except, of course, as prostitutes. And the creditor is coming to take her two sons because the law says that if you can't pay your debts, your sons can be taken as slaves and will be released in the year of Jubilee. So she is about to lose everything, humanly speaking. She has no hope. The fact is that there are many people in the world facing similar circumstances today, and that should help us to get a sense of our priorities. We often get upset at things that are simple and insignificant. You know, when you're at home and the Wi-Fi is not connecting. You know, there's a first world problem, if ever there was one. You go out for a meal and something's slightly overcooked. You've posted your selfie online and nobody's liking it. You know, these are things that get people really upset. These are entry-level uh, minor problems in the grand scheme of things. And the reality is that many, many people across the world, but perhaps even some in this room, have graduate-level problems going on right now. Some people are barely hanging on to their marriage and don't know if they're going to make it. Maybe someone that you love has just betrayed you or a friendship that you thought you had has gone sour. Maybe you've got a child who seems to be going the wrong way and you're in agony because you're watching them make decisions that you know are going to hurt them. Maybe you're struggling financially or with your health. Whatever it is, you're not sure how you're going to deal with it. And the key thought for today is this. When you don't have what you really want, you'll discover that God is what you really need. When you don't have what you really want, you'll discover that God is what you really need. This woman tells Elisha what the problem is. And he does something maybe unexpected. He doesn't say, oh, that's a shame. Why are you telling me though? He doesn't say, oh, that's really terrible. I'll be thinking about you. That's always struck me as a bit odd. I'll be thinking about you. I'm not actually going to help. I'm just going to think about you. I'm not going to do anything, but I'll think about you. You'll be fine. I'll think about you. No, I don't want you to think about me. If you can't do anything practical, what I want you to do is pray for me. Don't just think about me. Do something. Pray for me and my situation. Elisha does something significant. He makes himself available to her. And when she's explained the problem, he says this, how can I help you? Do you want to make a difference in this world? Do you want to be filled with joy? Then start each day saying, Lord, I am available to you today. Anytime there's a need, even if I'm unable to meet that need practically, help me to minister to that need. Make yourself available like Jesus would. And then Elisha says something quite profound. Tell me, what have you got in your house? He respects her dignity. He doesn't pretend that he's got all the answers. What he's saying is, let's start with what you have and we'll let God meet your need 
through what you have. It's easy when you're struggling to focus on what you don't have and miss all the blessings that you do. I don't have enough money. I don't have any friends. I don't have a nice house, so of course I couldn't have a house group because we know that you need to have a nice house before you can have a house group. I can't do dinner for six well because I don't have a nice house. You know, that kind of thing. And like me, maybe you've done this, maybe even this very morning. You've gone to the wardrobe and you've opened the door and you look in and you go, I've got nothing to wear. It's funny how we focus on what we don't have. So many times in Uganda, we heard people being asked what they were thankful for. And, and I'm standing there going, these people are in jail. <laughs> you know, they have nothing to be thankful for. These people are living in a mud hut. What on earth do they have to be thankful? Why are you even asking that question? And time and time again, people who had nothing were able to give thanks for the little they had. And that was an incredible challenge for me. Because I look at all that I've got that I take for granted. It's really humbling to hear people being thankful for the little they have when you have so much. I think the lesson there is to stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. You see, she starts off saying, I've got nothing at home except one small jar of oil. Olive oil was incredibly valuable because it was useful for lots of different things. It was used in cooking. It was used in oil lamps as a moisturizer, as a way to keep iron from rusting, to help keep leather pliable, and, and to anoint people in religious services. It was valuable, but she didn't have much. She only had a little. I am so thankful that we serve a God who specializes in doing a lot with a little. In the New Testament, there's a story uh, where Jesus has been teaching thousands and thousands of people. And when it comes to tea time, the disciples want to send them all away. But there's nowhere for them to go and get food. And a little boy comes and says, you can have my picnic. I've got some bread and I've got some fish. And you look at it and you think, thanks. What am I going to do with that? And Jesus took it and said, I'll show you what I'm going to do with it. Because I can take this little that has been given graciously and in faith. And I'm going to feed however many thousand people, 5,000 plus, when you count the women and the children. But it wasn't just to feed them. There were 12 basketfuls left over. We serve a God who can do a huge amount with a very little. In the Old Testament, the Israelite army was afraid of the Philistines because of one man, Goliath, who came out and every day he would taunt them. God didn't use a mighty warrior to defeat Goliath. He used a wee boy, a wee shepherd boy, who had a bit of faith, a sling and some stones. David effectively says, who are you 
to come against the armies of the living God. Everyone thinks you're too big to beat. I think you're too big to miss. Jesus says that if we have faith even as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. Why? Because we serve a God who can do a lot with a little. So Elisha asks, what do you have in your house? God once asked Moses, what do you have in your hand? And if you think back a few weeks, you'll know the answer. It's just a stick. What have you got in your hand? It's a stick. Well, let me show you what I'm going to do with that stick. God didn't ask them, what do you want? He didn't even ask them, what do you need? He asked them, what do you have? What do you have? So let's stop waiting for what we want and start working with what we have because God has given us everything that we need to do, all that he's called us to do. So many people say that we can't because we don't. We can't employ somebody because we don't have the money. We can't start a new project because we don't have the people. We I believe that in faith we should be saying we can because we have God. We can because we have God. Those pictures earlier of loved. Loved started off in a different place altogether, a different part of the city. And they needed a new building. They needed a new place to go. And they started to pray. And that building that they that we showed you the pictures of had been built on ground by a church. And the church were meeting there. And the man um, who had um, given them the land and allowed them to build died. And they discovered that there was... He had only given them permission, but there was nothing legal about it. They didn't actually own it. And so the family came and said, we want our land back. And we'll just take the building that's on it, by the way. And so there was a bit of toing and froing and coming and going and working out. And all the while, loved are praying that God would meet the need. And they wanted to be in that area, which is called Namatala. And it's the biggest slum in Mbali. And it has the greatest need. And the church came to an agreement with the family that they would move out and let loved move in. Because loved were serving the community. And that's what happened. And when you go and you go onto the roof and you look across the road and Bex, who's the, um, the English um, worker there, says, see that corrugated iron shack? That's where the church meets now. There was real sacrifice in that. But God was in it. And that community is flourishing because of the work that's happening there. Because they trusted God. They believed that he would come through for them. And he did. And so I'm thankful to God that he's taught us how to do a lot with a little. And pray that he continues to bless. Some of you might have been waiting to serve God in the the church because you didn't think you were ready. Or you thought that somebody else would be better at it than you. 
Maybe you're waiting for something to happen, something to change, so that you can do that thing that's been on your heart for years. And today God says to you, I think, stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. The second thing that we learn from the story is this, that we are to offer God what we have and trust him to give us what we need. We're to offer God what we have and trust him to give us what we need. It came true for this widow. She's told to go and collect jars. What a totally ridiculous thing to suggest. What have you got? I've got a tiny wee bit of oil. Go and gather some jars. I mean, it's ludicrous. First, it was burning your plows. Then it's digging ditches in the desert when there's no water. Today, go and gather jars. Three things that, humanly speaking, make no sense whatsoever. What is the point of collecting jars when you've got nothing to put in them? And what are your neighbours going to think? Because they know you. They know that you've got nothing. You're going to give me a jar, or two, or three. Or in fact, just give me all the jars you've got. All your jars. Give me all your jars. I'm going to look at you as if you're mad. But she did it. She gathered it together. And God gave her what she needed. It was only when they ran out of jars that they ran out of oil. And she had enough to pay her debt. But did you also notice that it wasn't just enough to pay her debt? Because that would still have left her with nothing. She got enough to pay her debt and to live off. Because God is gracious and good and compassionate. And he doesn't leave you. So she got the immediate need and the long-term need met. You see, when we show God our faith, he shows us his faithfulness. I don't know how God will speak to you, but at some point, when you take what you have and stop waiting for what you want, giving to God what you have, he will use that for something amazing. Elisha said, go and get jars, gather jars. He didn't say what color. He didn't say what size. He didn't say what shape. What did he say? Nothing. Get some jars. The only qualification was they have to be empty. They've got to be empty. It could have been a milk jug. It could have been a peanut butter jar. It could have been a butter tub. It could have been anything because God uses any size and shape and color. That's not what's important. He just needs it to be empty. So how does that apply to us? Well, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this. We have this treasure, this faith, this hope, which is Christ in jars of clay. What's it referring to? It's referring to us, our bodies. That's what we are. We are clay pots. We are jars. And what is God looking for? He's looking for jars that are empty. When we empty ourselves of self, when we empty ourselves of pride, when we empty ourselves of greed, when we empty ourselves of our own agendas and come to God empty, then he says, I will fill you with my spirit. And suddenly you realize when you don't have outwardly what you wanted, it's God that you really needed all along. And suddenly he is enough. 
He is sufficient in every single way. You see, when you are weak, he is your strength. When you're hurting, he is your comforter. When you're lost, he is your guide. When you're hungry, he is the bread of life for you. When you're thirsty, he is living water. When your life is unstable, he is the rock that doesn't move. When you realize, I don't have what I wanted, suddenly you discover he is exactly what you needed. And maybe somebody came here today and you are empty and you feel lacking. And I would encourage you to look to him today to meet the need that you have, to fill you again by his spirit. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Offer to God what you have and trust him to give you what you need. Because when you don't have what you really want, you'll discover that God is what you really need. When I was in the jail in Bali, when you're in a jail, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not a great place. It was built for 800 and there's 1,700 people in it. We went to church. And there were 80 or so prisoners worshipping God. I have never in all my life experienced joy like that. Never. And what did they have to be joyful about? They literally are in jail. (laughs) There is nothing... And yet, when they were asked, tell me something you're thankful for. And I looked at this woman thinking, why why are you asking that question? What is that about? I was the one found wanting. When one by one, these folk were able to answer that question and give thanks to God for the little they had. Because when all you've got is God, you discover that God is all you need. And that was a lesson for me. And you come back here and it's very easy, very quick, that you forget. And I don't want to forget. I don't want to forget that. Because it challenges everything for me. What am I thankful for? What do I really believe? What do I really think? Am I really sold out for Jesus? And that's the challenge. when we discover that God is all we need. That's an incredible place to be. 
And I don't want to lose that. And I hope that today, if God has spoken to you, you will respond in faith. I would be happy to talk to or pray with anybody who would like to do that after the service. But for now, let's pray together. Lord, we're here today. Some of us are hurting. Some of us are finding it hard to make ends meet. Some of us are overwhelmed. Some are empty. Some need to bring what they have. And all of us need more of you. Will you help us to empty ourselves of the rubbish that we carry around and allow you to fill us with your spirit? Give us a supernatural peace that goes beyond our human ability to understand. Be our divine comforter and our provider. Would you build our faith so that we can offer you what we have rather than wait for what we want? that we might experience the joy, the real lasting joy of knowing that you are enough. Amen.